power, grit, and a lot of speed. These were the ingredients chosen to create the perfect racing team. But Cycling Tips accidentally added an extra ingredient to the concoction, Chemical X. Thus, the freewheeling pod was born. Using their ultra superpowers, Amy, Lauren, and Abby have dedicated their lives to fighting the UCI and the forces of evil. We got this incredible message from uh, Mark on the Velo Club Slack about our Powerbook Girls conversation. He also corrected us um, that the pink one is named Blossom <laughs> and the green one is named Buttercup. Thanks for the correction. <laughs> he has dedicated us specific power puff identities. Amy is the pink one. Amy is Blossom for her fact checking. <laughs> and just generally being more knowledgeable than Lauren and I. Lauren is oh, Bubbles, God. which I agree with. You tend to be the most optimistic of the three of us. <laughs> yeah. <What> happened <laughs> and, to me. <laughs> and I am Buttercup, just, you know, being surly and uh, over here. Kicking ass. Yeah. So <laughs> thank you so much to Mark. And welcome back to this freewheeling podcast. This is the first episode of our four-episode string of Burgos Borgos Daily Podcasts. With me, as always, Amy. Hello. Borgos. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren, how are you today? I'm good. It sounds like Amy's been working on a Catalan. Is it Catalan? Or you were just watching it in Catalan? I was what with the feed in Spain. I don't know if it was the whole of Spain or just because I'm in Catalonia, but it was on TV3, which is the Catalan station. So I can understand but not speak Catalan. So I was marginally, like, understanding things. It was okay. We've just finished wa watching the first stage of the Vuelta a Burgos, and what a stage it was. We didn't get to watch much of the stage, but we did get to watch some exciting final kilometers. They took on a first uh, final climb, the Alto de la Laura, and over the top of the climb, Grace Brown and Elise Shabi attacked. They were then joined by Neve Fisher-Black. The three rode to the line together with barely any gap at all. They managed to hold off the chasing peloton. Grace Brown took the win, followed by Elise Shabi, and in third, Neve Fisher-Black, and the peloton finished five seconds later. So really awesome win by grace brown that was great i think coming into this race you probably wouldn't tapped bike exchange to have you know to be up there just because they they haven't really been grace brown has been really their only top rider up to this point but she looked really strong she really drove the breakaway uh which makes sense because neat fisher black would have had anna vanderbregen behind and elise shabby would have had kasha behind so the two of them didn't really have to put in as much work as Grace, although they did, you know, take a couple pulls. But Grace looked really, really strong, and and she was the best sprinter of the three. I think Grace Brown's mom is going to be up late the whole week this week. I did see a funny tweet from her. Um, it was really impressive. I, I thought when they went, I was like, nah, the gap's not big enough. This is a good launch pad for some counterattack that will go. But sure enough, she... Uh, put down the hammer like she always does and it stayed away and her sprint at the end was impressive. She let it out and then just rode away from, from the other two. She is in incredible form this year and just keeps going from strength to strength. And I guess the Australian team was just announced with, with Grace is one of the riders of the four women team. So that was really cool to see today. Yeah. When, 
when she went with Elise Shabby, I was like, ooh, that's dangerous because they're both absolute powerhouses, um, like TT diesel effort types, which is why I was really impressed with Grace Brown's sprint, actually. And I'm not sure whether it's she's got a good kick or if they're just like completely not sprinty riders <laughs> at all. Um, I think neither. she has like, out of the three of them, she's probably the better, but she, this spring she's shown she has a decent kick because she hmm. was third in Flanders. So, yeah. That's true. She attacked a group of sprinters and won Bruges de Pana. And she mm. had to attack to win that race. And yes, it was a surprise, but you still have to have like a little bit of a kick to be able to attack like that. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so the Olympic team was announced for Australia. It is Grace Brown, Sarah Gigante, Tiff Cromwell, and Amanda Spratt, which actually Spratt has not had that great of a season, but I think that she's she's been around enough that she'll know how to kind of rally and, and get a little bit fitter. I think that her not going home for the winter really affected her spring campaign, but there's a couple months still to go to the Olympics. Sarah Gigante has been riding super well, and I think for the future of the sport, having her on the team is great. And Grace Brown is pretty much the only one um, of the Australians who's been getting results, so that makes sense. And Tiff Cromwell is just having a stellar season, and this is awesome for her to get on this on this Olympic team, and she's going to be an amazing team captain. She's got so much experience. So it's a great team. And once again, we're just so excited uh, to see the Olympic teams being rolled out and get kind of a picture of how the race is going to go. <laughs> Sorry, I'm Lauren. I thought you were going to say something. <laughs> no, I was waiting for you, Amy, to talk about. <laughs> Amy and I were having a discussion before Abby woke up about, well, multiple discussions, but one was. I woke up to like do- 27 messages or something. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> Um, one was to do with the course and like, I'm still, you know, I've like looked up articles and whatnot, comments from writers. I'm still not sure how hard it is and how, how it will sort of pan out. That's like the biggest question for me, obviously with Rio, it was very obvious that nothing was going to happen before that climb. I mean, there were moves that tried to go and obviously the domestique kind of writers that were putting the team there fulfilled their role till the bottom of the climb. But that climb was just so hard that it was only going to suit a certain type of rider. Um, and there was a case of they would hold it off to the finish. But I haven't heard the same sort of reactions about the the Tokyo Olympic course. I mean, obviously, Cecile Ludwig did say that she was disappointed they're not going up Mount Fuji because she thinks it would have made it more interesting. But... Um, yeah, I'm curious what your opinions are. Yeah, I don't know if those two, uh, if those climbs are, are as selective. Um, I think it still could be a course for um, a fast finisher who can climb, basically, um, which is, I think, why people like Sile were upset that they weren't going up the bottom of Fiji like the men. But there's still, there's still something like, 2,692 meters of elevation over 137K, which is not nothing. No, it is, it is a fair bit. But again, like we're saying, it depends how the race is raced, which if 
you're thinking of a climber with a fast finish, then the, the, the rider that comes to mind is actually Demi Vollering. Which is funny because we kind of, when we talked about the Dutch team last time, I kind of put her in the box of working early. But if it, if it comes down to, you know, a small group of sprinters that can climb, she's, uh, yeah, her and Voss together, the, du- the duo there is like almost unbeatable. It also depends if someone goes for a long shot. So somebody from that Dutch team, they've got they've got all bases covered, I suppose. They've got Anna for a potential long or Annemiek, of course, for a potential long range attack. Um similarly, the Australian squad have got Grace Brown for that. Um from the rest of them, not sure who who would be the kind of Voss or Vollering type, but um well, getting kind of getting back to Burgo. So we have a couple rider diaries, which is super exciting. We love hearing from inside the race. One of them is coming from one of the members of the early breakaway that we didn't get to see, but Heidi Franz spent a good deal of the early part of the race off the front. So let's hear what Heidi had to say. Really fast day today um for a little bit the peloton was a little nice and chill um and then we hit some of the really fast sections of the course um with a strong tailwind um and a cross tailwind so it made it super dangerous and there was a a um pretty good split and with most of the gc contenders in the front split um with myself and um three of my teammates and uh they were going after it they really wanted to try and um push that pace drive it um and a lot of the a lot of the top girls van de Bregen, van vluten sprat um were all getting quite involved at the front um along with trek who really really wanted to get something off the front uh, in the fast tailwind Trek was just generally very aggressive all day as well as bike exchange and um, it just made all of these exposed kind of windy sections really dangerous. Um, so it took a lot of focus and a lot of, uh, a lot of effort to stay up there um, in, the right, in the right kind of split. Um, I was kind of on breakaway duty as I usually am. And so I, um, I got to roll, roll up the front uh, when a good moment came up with a couple other girls, um, rolled the GPM. So took the GPM points, which is nice. And, uh, and then it continued to just be super fast after that. Uh, the Peloton caught us just over the top and, um, Trek just continued to push their agenda and kind of go crazy. So just, it was probably the fastest hundred K I've ever done. (laughs) Uh, just super crazy. Um, with the wind, with the tailwind, just made it really, really quick, and uh, which is nice. It's nice to have a shorter day for once. Uh, you could tell a lot of people were tired um, from the last like couple weeks of racing, because um, as soon as we came off this main road, um, took a hard left turn into the climb of the day um, with 10k to go, it just exploded. It was just ones and twos and. Um, yeah, it was wild. Bike Exchange did a really strong lead out uh, along with Trek, uh, who had just cheering off the front for a little while. Um, Bike Exchange really pushed it into that left-hand turn up the cl- to start the climb. 
and uh, and that was kind of when I lost you know lost contact with the front, which was which was okay. Um, my my job was done, and uh, we had Christabel and Clara Koppenberg up in that front group um, contesting the win. So, uh, yeah, I think it split up a little bit on the on the climb, and Grace Brown took the win, and um, she's riding super strong right now. It's really cool to see, and um, yeah, I'm I'm excited. I apparently get to borrow her uh, QOM jersey tomorrow and start with it, which is nice. So that's pretty, pretty fun. I'm excited about that. Anyway, so we got one more from the Peloton. Uh, Brody Chapman hanging out in the Peloton today. Not a ton for her to do. I think her day is kind of coming on the final day when the road really goes uphill forever. But let's hear what Brody thought of the race. So it was our first Women's World Tour stage race of the season and it started quite fast, um, mostly because of the tailwind. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, there was definitely a fair few attempts at a breakaway and some attacks, um, but the peloton wasn't ready to let the GC be decided that early or for anyone to get away on the first stage. Um, so when it got to the final climb, it was pretty chaotic with, with lead outs and teams riding to get their leaders in good position. Uh, I felt pretty strong to be able to move Scylla up a few places as, as well with um, Eugenie. And then, uh, yeah, quite a big group went away on the climb and then I just self-pedaled to the finish. And luckily, our GC riders, Evita and Scylla, were safe in the group. Um, so now they think they're only five or ten seconds behind the leaders of today. So hopefully um, we can continue on for the rest of the week. And, yeah, we're just excited to be racing a stage race. And it's really well organised and really well supported and um, really awesome parkours as well. And, uh, yeah, it's fun. It was really, that finishing climb was really fast and um, my stream wasn't great, but I was trying to to figure out who the rider was in the white jersey with the stripes. Is it the Israeli uh, national champion? Yeah, Omer Shapira. Yeah, she really drove it on that final climb and you could see it was, yeah, shelling out riders out the back. So she did a really good job there. I mean, obviously, um, yeah, Alice Shabby then went on to to get second place in the stage. So I was really impressed with with her effort there, and then just the sheer speed of it, it looked like a beautiful day too. I have to say it myself. Even this is finally, finally, yeah, yeah. Seriously, all of the races <laughs> for them so far have just been wet in Spain. Yeah. Um, I think this is kind of like this proves our conversation right from a couple episodes ago about the stage races giving the domestiques opportunities because today we saw yes grace brown is the leader of her team but we also saw two girls women who have spent the majority of the early season working for their team leaders in second and third in neve fisher block and elise shabby and i'm kind of curious what canyon stram is going to do with elise shabby because i think that she's kind of been proving over and over that she's incredibly strong and it's possible that she could be their leader at this race I don't know how she's going to do on that final climb 
Vakashi Nimodoma said uh, on her Instagram that her preparation for the race really wasn't what she had hoped. And I think for Kasha, she's kind of targeting the Olympics and this is maybe not that important of a race for her. I mean, it's still a world tour stage race, so it's still important, but I wonder if they're going to kind of reassess their, their GC ambitions and try to keep Elise Shabby more locked down for the next two stages before the big final day. Cause tomorrow looks like it's just a sprint day. It's it's there's a couple climbs throughout the day, but for the most part, the finish is flat and it's really the only the only day for the sprinters. Like I don't see a, I don't see a breakaway making it to the finish tomorrow. I think if there's any sprinters in the race at all, they only have this one shot, really. Mm. Um, so I wonder what what Canyon Tram's going to do about about Elise Shabby and Kasha, because that's kind of an interesting situation there. I mean, it's it's always fun to have two, but. I guess when it comes down to it, it's going to be really hard for anyone to outclimb Anna Van Bregen and, and Annemiek Van Vluten on that final climb. It's like 30K, it looks like. And I, th- I think that they'll be realistic with their ambitions, knowing that team and the way they approach races. They'll see if Cassia can ride into the race. Sometimes that happens. Maybe on the last day, she's feeling great. It's just a good test of the legs as well for her. Regardless of her preparation, she she can suffer that girl. But, yeah, I mean, I'm sure that they're going to give the other riders a bit of free range here to just race aggressively. And then, like you said, with that final stage being such a hard stage with such um, a specific sort of um, parkour as such, it is going to suit certain types of riders. So, um, obviously, Shabby is, at least Shabby is in great form. And it's a good result to get a stage um, podium, but they'll probably be hunting a win and they'd probably be satisfied with that. I would, I would assume. I mean, particularly when you've got the likes of Van der Breggen there and um, Van Vluten. Yeah. I mean, I think isn't Cassia, like a few of the others um, didn't race after Liège until um, a few days ago. But she actually came back later. So like Anna came back for last Sunday's race in Eibar. And then um, Cassia's first race back was Durango on Tuesday. And she actually came fourth. And I think she said there was a team um, like tweet that said um, she was actually feeling pretty satisfied with that performance given the time off. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see if she can ride into some form. But if not... I think they're ripe to go for like stage wins. Um, if tomorrow's a sprint finish, they've got Hannah Barnes. Um, and but yeah, I mean it'd be really nice to see them to see Elise Shabby be able to ride for herself in a race this year because she's been an absolute powerhouse. Like she's done some immense efforts for the team and she just keeps coming and keeps coming. Um so it was nice to see her be able to get a result, albeit not a win, but a good result today. And it shows as well that she can do that, that she's not just a domestique. So, you know, yeah. it'd be fun. Domestique of the month or something like that. Like people vote in <laughs> their favorite domestiques. And then employee we have to of like, the month. yeah, pretty much. I just wrote a member of the month article. So that's probably why. Um, <laughs> but I, I always feel like I think we do um, highlight all the amazing domestiques out there, but quite often they don't 
get spoken about that much. Um, and yeah, like we've mentioned time and time before, how without these stage races, they just don't have a chance to shine. Luckily, there's a bit more live coverage, so we actually get to see the riders riding. But I remember times where, you know, you would only really look at the finishing results and you would see these really talented riders coming in 50th and thinking, oh, that a shit day. But actually, it was just because they were doing an awesome job for their team. So I'm excited to see who else sort of has an opportunity to shine this week. I guess that's an issue with it, with there not being very many long stage races for women as well, though, because with this being just four days, every single stage is, is crucial to GC. Um, so it's harder, I guess, then for domestiques to take as many chances. Whereas, you know, you watch the Giro and people can afford to go off in like 12 minute breaks and win a stage. And there's a completely different race going on behind. Um, you don't really get that because yeah, when you're only racing across like four or six days and maximum 10, I guess you see it more in the Giro Rosa potentially, but yeah, it's, it takes that away a bit for them. Tomorrow's going to be really interesting because Grace only has the leader's Jersey by a few seconds. I mean, there's if there's bonus seconds on the sprint points tomorrow that'll be fascinating but i feel like the jersey will change hands every day of this race because i see tomorrow if there's any you know really good sprinters that made it into that final group like demi volering for example because she's she's there and i mean arlena sierra only finished she won the bunch kick and she finished five seconds behind uh grace brown and she was riding super well at one of the the one days earlier that she won over Anamik and uh, Ruth Winder, so I feel like I could see Arlena Sierra taking that taking that jersey off Grace Brown or Demi Vollering, who only finished eighth on the same time as Arlena. Yeah, Arlena Sierra is riding so well, um, and she's shown. I mean, today those climbs were not super hard, but they weren't easy, and they were drilling the pace on the front and so the fact that she can get over them and then win the bunch kick for fourth um she's on really good form yeah she's definitely a favorite for tomorrow um Sofia Bertizolo for Liv as well um mm. is another good shout sorry I didn't, we didn't say we were doing like picks I'm just starting to list people <laughs> no you're right she is she's a good pick for this I think Live is a team that is so interesting because with Lada Kapeki, they've really, she's kind of been their it girl for the, the whole spring campaign. And we saw um, Paulina Rayorkis, Ry- 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 oh man, rides, yeah, rides super well in the, in the one days, especially in Durango, Durango, when she jumped out of the Peloton and joined Cecilia Utrupaludwig up front. I mean, she she looked strong. So it's it's an interesting team for them. They really have some really good riders who have traditionally been stuck as domestiques riding for for Voss and Ashland and Passio in the last two years that um when it was when it was CCC live. And now they really have a great opportunity to jump out of that box and get some results and yeah, I think Sofia Bertizzolo is one of those riders for sure. I find 
Paulina Royaka is quite a frustrating rider to watch sometimes because she climbs so well, but as soon as it gets to a slightly techie or wet descent, she seems to, her head falls off a bit and she doesn't quite stay. And it's like, she's obviously such a talented climber. And if she can get over that, she, she could get some really great results. I mean, that's exactly what happened at Durango Durango. She caught Cecily on the climb and then, and then by the descent into the finish, she was gone. Mm. And yeah, Cecily actually made it across then to the front too. That was such a great race. That was Mm -hmm. crazy. I was like, she's not going to have the legs, but (laughs) this was amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Because she'd been away for like 10 K on her own before that. Yeah. And then she just, yeah, that was a huge effort. Yeah. Really exciting. The final rider diary we have is actually from the third place on the day, Neve Fisher Black. Let's hear her thoughts on the day. Uh, hey, podcast listeners. Um, I'm Neve Fisher Black, and I'm well. I'm here with my roommate Anna Shackley, or. Um, we can otherwise be known as the two puppies of Team SD Works. Um, we've actually just finished the first stage of Walter Burgos. Um, yeah, a uh, bit of a race report on today. It was a pretty, pretty unexpected race. Went pretty fast, short race, 100Ks. Finished up a hill and... Got my, um, what's it called? Old time fastest 40K. Ah, there you go. Um, and yeah, I managed to find myself in a group of three over the top of this climb, um, into the finish, which was, yeah, a little bit, uh, unexpected, but, um, yeah, I think that's the best thing about this team, uh, all the opportunities we get, and, um, yeah, today I kind of, uh, grabbed the opportunity with two hands and came down to the finish, um, between Grace Brown, Elise Shabby and I, um, and unfortunately they they were the stronger riders today and they managed to put me on the line. But uh, yeah, as I say, um, I'm still new to this, so uh, third place in a world tour race is still a pretty nice result for me and I can, uh, can be happy with that, I think. Um, otherwise, how did your day go, Anna? I finished in the front group so I suppose that's good probably needs to be at the front a little bit bit more but I've got three more stages to improve on actually my highlight of the day was um, was I I went back to the car and uh, I got Anna van der Berg in a bottle that was I mean I mean, it's still cool. I've done a few races with her now, but she's an awesome woman. So, and just the way she wins races and anything I can do to help her, I'm always happy to do. And she said to me when I gave her the bottle that she'll always remember it. So, so yeah, I can be, uh, I can take something nice. nice. Yeah, exactly. I've done some nice work for my teammates too. So yeah, it's been a good day. Um, three more days to go. Um, Today was a bit hot, a bit of a shock to the system, and I think tomorrow will be hot too, so uh, yeah. better get used to it fast. <laughs> uh, we'll get back to you tomorrow after tomorrow's stage. All right.
right, so one more bit of news that came out of the women's side of the sport uh, to talk about today, and that is the increase in the UCI's women's world team salary for 2022-2023. So it started off as 15,000 in 2020, and then in, and then in 2021 they jumped to 20,000 euros. As of 2022, it'll jump again to 27,000 euros. And then 2023, they'll be equal with the men's pro team salary at 32,100 euros. So this is a interesting development from the UCI's minimum salary. And I think that everyone listening would probably expect us to say that we're really excited about this increase in minimum salary based on how we've reacted to Trek Segafredo and Bike Exchange matching their men's minimum to their women's salaries. But there's it, there is this interesting thing that we brought up recently, and we talk about it quite a lot, and that's the divide between some of the smaller teams and the world tour teams that are all racing against each other. And this jump in minimum salary, well, it's awesome because it means that the women are... The women on the world tour teams that haven't, you know, already put their own higher minimum in place will be getting paid what they should be getting paid for for doing a full-time job that's really more than a full-time job. I mean, it's it's like your entire life is consumed by it. Um so they'll be getting paid well, still not even close to what would be comp- comparable to that, but, you know, more. It is it is kind of you, you can't keep pushing the top higher without also elevating the teams below that are racing in the exact same races, because there's no, you know, especially in COVID, the lack of, of, uh, opportunities for the small teams to, you know, develop riders and stuff is, is even worse than it's been in previous years. So I think this is an instance of, I don't know, you guys chime in, but it's a good thing with, potentially negative repercussions. hundred percent. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. The, the gap is just increasing. And we, we've discussed it at length, I think, a couple of episodes before. I don't know why we brought it up, actually. Oh, we're talking about UCI races on the calendar and how for non-world t- tour teams, like the difference between like how many race days you could have in a year. So... Yeah, the gap is definitely growing. And I think what it will do, in my opinion, is encourage riders that are in the top to stay longer in the sport, which is fantastic because if you look at the men's peloton, they really do look at it as a career. And injury aside or illness, um, whether that's physical or mental, I mean, if you're earning what is going to be a decent salary, maybe not compared to what other industries are earning, but as far as, as cycling goes for the professional women's peloton, then you're going to have women staying in the sport a lot longer um, instead of, you know, particularly the foreign riders who maybe can't stay at home and s- save money when they're earning um, such low wages and such. So I think. Lauren, I totally, yeah, I totally agree. I think it's like, it's great for the women who, have been in the sport for a while at this point and have been getting paid pennies. And now they're going to be more keen to stick around if they're actually making something closer to a livable wage. Um, and it's also great for 
you know, up and coming riders who they need the money to be able to focus on the sport and not have a job on the side. Um, I think, you know, on the men's side, they have a, so they have, a, yeah, they have a minimum definitely for the pro pro teams because this, the 2023 salary for the women will equal the pro continental teams and then an increase in salary for the world tour teams. And I think, you know, it would be interesting if they put in a minimum salary for those, the women's UCI teams that aren't world tour, because I think some teams would fold, but also if you're calling yourself a professional team, shouldn't you pay your riders? This so, is exactly. I mean, so there's, there's like 50 continental teams. And while, you know, you have to be careful, I suppose, with this, but while there there's not enough races as well for these for these teams first of all that's a big issue but you know exactly like like you say you can't call yourself a pro team if you're not paying your riders so there should be i mean and also this whole mess of continental teams it's the same for men on the conti side so there's no minimum salary and it's a complete like free for all um but to go back to the UCI and their triumphant press release today. <laughs> um, <it's, laughs> I was going to change our intro because I was like, well, I don't want to like specifically say we fight the UCI, but it's actually kind of true. <laughs> so I, I'll take I'll take that, Monica. I mean, I have. No. <laughs> uh. I mean, yeah. So while it's really great that this is happening, what kind of I'm trying not to swear what kind of annoys me can I I was gonna say what Mm. boils my piss is that um, (laughs) (laughs) oh god love having a Brit on here it's so great I don't even I don't know know if that's a British phrase or a South African one now I'm so confused now between everything it could be grates my carrot that's another one they say Oh, that's yeah. uh, that's like the G-rated version of 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 the other one. <laughs> that I don't even feel comfortable saying. What pisses just, me like, off? <laughs> yeah, is that is that they've come out with this press release as if to say, you know, this is brilliant from us. We've implemented these things, and how great are we? And we're doing so much for women cycling. But I mean, to go really far back, these the World Tour um, requirements were as a result of petitioning from TCA and other people. Um, this is an audit. So these these changes were actually already in place. So these were part of their, whatever they called it, something 2022 oh, that was yeah. supposed to, yeah, you know, all that classic, like, wanky speak. Um, anyway, so they we're already supposed to be doing this. Um, clearly this audit has brought up the fact that um, minimum salaries are higher, but what they're doing here is basically taking credit for the initiatives that we've already talked about on this podcast. For example, Bike Exchange and Trek deciding to match the men's pro team salaries earlier than they needed to. And also there's going to be people who say this is, maybe too far but comparing women's world tour teams to men's pro teams is not exactly like for like you know it's a world tour team versus you know a second tier team on the men's side and yes okay 
men's world tour budgets are astronomical but the salary minimum salaries are actually not hugely disproportionate if you so I think I'm not I don't know the number off the top of my head but the minimum salary which of course the majority get paid more than that but the minimum salary for world tour men's teams is like 40k or something compared to like 30 no no it's it's 40 I think because that's what Trek agreed to pay their women the same as the world tour men correct and it's different if if you're there's these differences that are also in the women's world tour. If you're like a private contractor versus you're working for the team, cause you get paid mm, in theory, you're paid more if you're a private contractor, but that you have your own kind of charges that come with that. And then if you're working for the team, it's different. And I think some teams you can, something, some teams you can choose which one you want and some don't really give you a choice, mm. but they get paid more for being a, private because it comes with yeah. yeah. benefits yeah yeah um yeah and I'm, well the reality is as well that this this press release also states that in 2020 men's pro teams on average riders earned 67.53 percent more than their female counterparts and that's still now in 2021 on average they earn still 44.21 percent more which is you know not amazing um and yeah the big thing that they don't address at all is this increasing ever increasing gap between uh world tour and continental teams of which world tour teams represent 160 riders in the peloton and there are 771 continental riders so riders registered on continental teams for women i'm really excited to see so the tca has just done one of their um surveys that they they do too i think throughout the year and they survey the entire like anyone who's a member so that includes a lot more non-world tour uci women than this would have highlighted so i'm really really curious to see what that survey comes up with because the results of the last one were kind of horrifying Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that nothing will have changed between the last survey they did and this one. Maybe it would have changed a little bit, but. Yeah, well, the last survey actually h- highlighted that the gap is increasing between World Tour and Continental teams. Sorry, yeah. Lauren. No, I was just going to say that everything you just said is what that last survey was just the the disparity i was like yay the top riders earning more but uh the majority of riders are still not earning yeah and then you know the the world tour teams have to get riders from somewhere so that's gonna affect the kind of development path as well if there's no racing and there's no teams and there's no money to be Mm -hmm. made in the lower ranks how's anyone going to get to the to the top so Mm. But also, speaking of TCA, Lauren, uh, are you mentoring for that? Yes. You... Yeah, I am. That's sick. That's yeah. awesome. I'm really excited. I have been introduced with my Belgian rider, um, which is really cool because I'm almost half Belgian now, I suppose. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a really great initiative. I was really not surprised, but um 
not honored, a bit honored that they asked me to be a mentor because like Gracie and I have had so many chats about this, that this would have been a program I myself would have benefited from years and years, years ago when I first entered the Peloton and when I wanted to leave the sport. Um, so just so much praise for the TCA and um, Gracie and it's Rus are the two that are, are heading this project. So um, I'll keep you in the loop with how it's going, but um, yeah, really, really excited about it. Um, and it's just nice to be connected. Yeah. With the sport again, I guess, in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think um, this is a perfect time to mention that we we've chatted with Iris on the pa- on the podcast before we've had Gracie on twice and we'll have her on again at some point for sure. And they're both founding members of the Cyclist Alliance. From both of these discussions, we had a huge uh, bunch of our Velo Club members jump in and contribute to the TCA. And as part of Cycling Tip's ongoing commitment to supporting women cycling, the Velo Club is going to work on something really special with Gracie and Iris and the whole team at the TCA. So if you, you know, we'll, we'll mention it on this podcast for sure as the project develops, but I, I have a little bit of inside knowledge and it's really an awesome thing that we're working on with the TCA. If you want to get involved, head on over to cyclingtips.com slash sign up to join Bello Club. Um, they are the reason we have this podcast in the first place and is really the push that we, uh, that Cycling Tips needed to cover more women's racing. And that's what we're doing. So sign up for Velo Club, support this podcast and support the TCA at the same time, because we're doing a really awesome collab with them that will come out soon. And you're going to have to let us in on what that is after we sign off. (laughs) (laughs) I think we can leave it there today. We had a lot to talk about in, in Burgos and also outside of Burgos. And we will be back tomorrow for another Borgos Daily. (laughs) Venga. (laughs) (laughs) For stage two, it's going to be an awesome stage. Um, You can watch all all four of the stages live on GCN Plus. If you're in Europe, in North America, it's on Flow Bikes. You can look at the preview on cyclingtips.com to find out where to watch it. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. And thanks to you two for your insights. Mm -hmm.